There's something about honesty that is, that's powerful and, and frightening. And when we think about being honest with God, how many of you struggle with that concept? Maybe some of you struggle with the concept of even talking to God or having a relationship with God in the first place. And that's what's so cool about this particular book. John is a, is a disciple. He was somebody who walked closely with Jesus. He wrote a gospel. There's, a, there's four gospels. There's these accounts that describe the life of Jesus, what it was like, what he was doing. They all kind of have a different person that they're writing to or a different group. They have a different agenda. They're hitting at different things. They're telling the story in different kinds of ways so the writers, so the readers would understand them. And John is like all about love. John also has, seems to have a bit of an ego issue where he calls himself multiple times in his gospel like the beloved, the one that Jesus loves. Seriously, it's like John has this little thing. Like there's even moments where he talks about how like he runs faster than the other guys at the end of the gospel of John. Dead serious, it's like in the Bible. You're like, cool. Like, it's nice to know like petty things happened even around Jesus with the people that were following him. John, though, understands and he gets an up close view of what it is to be in relationship. And so, what we get in the book of 1 John is like older John. You can almost think of him as like Grandpa John. Most scholars believe he is definitely up in age at this point. There's a number of reasons for that. And, and his tone, though still, I mean, these are the, this is the book you get all the beautiful lavished with his love. You get all these beautiful things that you pull them out. They're like the Hallmark card verses that you slap on stuff. Right, when like you're talking to your friends about Jesus and they, they have this really like weird negative view of Christianity, there's, you may inadvertently be quoting First John a lot because there's a lot of the like, come here. And that's, that's beautiful and it's a lot of what has John has relation to, to Jesus, why that comes out like this. It's interesting though, John also in this book, like you just, we read at the very end, like if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Like, there's a little bit of like, all right, just cut it out. Like, let's get down to it. Right? Anyone have like a grandfather or maybe their father is up in age, right? And you're just like, hey, grandma, like the matriarch. And they like, they love you. Then their love and gentleness, maybe their gentleness has changed. Their love has not changed toward you, but they're also like, you know, they're not, they're not going to waste any time with words. Anyone have any grandparents like that or parents like that? They're like, yeah, I love you, but just stop. Where like 20 years ago, they would have given you a really long diatribe and helped you understand and explain it and make sure you still felt coddled and loved. And there's like, just, just no, no more. No more done, done time. John, in this book, over and over, he's addressing a group of people who have this view. It's an early form of, of an ancient way of thinking called Gnosticism. We'll get into this in further weeks. But he's addressing a group of people that have basically said ideas are what matter and the body really doesn't. Ideas and this sort of essence of spirituality and completely disconnected from the human body. Like disconnected from what we actually do with our lives. If you believe the right things, if you have this sort of secret knowledge. It ironically in some ways in some mutated form sometimes creeps into our churches. If I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and rose again, then I won't go to hell. I'll live for an eternal life and I'm forgiven. And I mean, sure, God wants me to be nice, but it doesn't really matter how I live. It has no ramifications. It's actually not too far 
from this sort of like view of it only matters what I think in my head and not what translates into my life. And so John, in this book, there's invitations, sometimes really clear and sometimes really subtle, to just be honest, to be just like straightforward with who you are and where you're at and what's going on so you can change. So I wanted to open the, the, the talk after giving a little context just with this. It's a poem uh, from, uh, from Andrew Hudgens. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever read some of his poetry. This is from The Never Ending. And uh, forgive, forgive me if you're a little, a little bit squeamish uh, around um, you know, really honest prayers, especially being said by a pastor. I, I, uh, heads up. This, this, uh, song, this, this poem is called Praying Drunk. Praying Drunk. This is somebody, what happens when you get drunk? I don't know, I've never been. When you get drunk, right, there's a sense of the filter comes off, right? You just kind of like, you say what you mean and then other stuff, emotionally amped up stuff. You just kind of like lay it all out. There's something about this honesty in this, in this prayer that I love, and I think it helps inform a lot of the tone of First John. Our Father, who art in heaven, I'm drunk, again, red wine, for which I offer thanks. I have to start with praise, but praise comes hard to me. I stutter. Did I tell you about the woman whom I taught in bed this prayer? Starts with praise, the simple form, keeping things in order. I hear from her sometimes. Do you? And after love, when I was hungry, I said, make me something to eat. She yelled, poof, you're a casserole, and laughed so hard she fell out of the bed. Take care of her. Next, confession, the dreary part. At night, deer drift from the dark woods and eat my garden. They're like enormous rats on stilts, except, of course, they're beautiful. But why? What makes them beautiful? I haven't shot one yet, and I might. When I was 12, I'd ride my bike out to the dump and shoot the rats. It's hard to kill your rats, our father. You have to use a hollow point and hit them solidly. A leg is not enough. The rat won't pause. Yeep, yeep, it screams and scrabbles, three-legged back into the trash. And I would feel a little bad to kill something that wants to live more savagely than I do, even if it's just a rat. My garden's vanishing. Perhaps I'll merely plant more beans, though that might be more beautiful. That might mean more beautiful and hungry deer. Who knows? I'm sorry for the times I've driven home past a black, enormous twilight ridge crested with mist. It looked like a giant wave about to break and sweep across the valley. And in my loneliness and fear, I thought, oh, please let it come and wash the whole world clean. Forgive me. This is my favorite sin, despair, whose love I celebrate with wine and prayer. I'm usually asleep by now. The time for supplication requests as if I'd stayed up late and called the radio and asked they play a sentimental song embarrassed so I want a lot of money and a woman and also I want vanishing cream you know a character like Popeye rubs it on and disappears although you see right through him he's there he chuckles stumbles into things and smoke that clearly is visible escapes from his invisible pipe makes me think sometimes of you what makes me think of me is the poor jerk who wanders out on air and then looks down below his feet he sees eternity and suddenly his shoes no longer work on nothingness, and down he goes. As I fall past, remember me. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what? It's like this, like, like <laughs> odd, 
like run of consciousness. This is like honesty and like let's just be honest. He's going from thought to thought to thought to thought to thought to thought to thought. Just like, look, this is what's here. This is who I am. This is what's happening. This is where I'm at. It's a little lesson. I love that psalm as silly as that prayer, as silly as it is, is because it, it invokes this desire in me to be honest, to be honest. So let's look at our text today. First of all, this theme right out of the gate. This is the guy who will say later on and elsewhere that God is love. So you'd expect that Grandfather John right out of the gate would say something like, God is love. But the actually first image we get in this book of what God is like is light. Is light. And so I want to say something a bit about this because light is the primary metaphor. I should say one of the most central metaphors for heaven. Here's why this is important. Heaven is where uh, the rule and reign of God are happening. Heaven is where everything, right, is where it's supposed to be, how stuff is supposed to be. It's the ultimate peace with God and environment and ourselves and with each other, right? It's everything that is, like, good and holy and what, like, it's, like, the rightness of life, heaven. And an image of that is light, And there's something in scripture about when people come into contact with the way of God, with the person of God, with like heaven itself in some like odd, mysterious, thin way, like thin place where heaven and earth touch, that people are like thrown off. Right, when when some of the great stories, if you know your scriptures, when people encounter God, it's like I can't even look. When people encounter, they like fall on their knees. They're overwhelmed in awe. And for all the ways we could speculate of what is it that happens, right? The God of the universe who loves us. So we come into contact with God like, oh my gosh, you're so beautiful. You're so incredible. Like I'm so, like I'm overwhelmed in awe of the creator of the universe. I realize, anyone have a moment where they realize how small they are? You just kind of look around, you're like, oh my gosh, I am, I am like this. It's a technical term. Light, I think, is part of this because light, what does light do? Light, when it shines on people, when it shines in a room, it exposes everything that's there. I think the reason why person after person throughout Scripture, when they come into contact with God, not only is it the majesty and beauty and reality of God, something in us, we realize we like see ourselves for who we truly are. And let's Let's pause for a minute. In the Christian story, first and foremost, we are made in the image of God. So let's not get ahead of ourselves. We are never in Scripture called to first and foremost, first and foremost, identify ourselves as sinners. We are, Paul says, all fall short of the glory of God. But first and foremost, that's not our identity. We're made in the image of God. But in light of that and in light of who God is, I think the reason why when you have these close encounters with God is people tend to all of a sudden be like, whoa. The first response is, is like, I feel exposed. I feel exposed. One of the primary metaphors for heaven, for contact with God, for the rule and reign of God coming near, is light. A few places, if you have your Bibles. Revelation 22, 5. Verse 5. This is a picture of the end, of heaven crashing into earth. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. However, this is poetic, non-poetic language. There's this imagery of the night, the darkness, the things that are hidden will be no more. 
1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. So here's another image of what it's like when we come in contact with the way of God, with the way of heaven. God will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their punishment. No, praise, actually, it says, from God. So what's at God's core? It's like when the floodlights get turned on. Light reveals Light exposes. How many of you have a really dark bedroom? Like, a, like, a re, like even when you wake up in the morning, the sun's coming up, it's still really dark. Anyone have that? No? Okay. Um, this analogy doesn't work. I won't tell the story. <laughs> uh, it does remind me, though, of summer camp. When I would, uh, we had the cabins that only had the little sort of basement windows. We weren't in the basement, but for some reason, they had just the really small windows, and they all had little mini curtains on it. So when the sun was coming up, we wouldn't wake up in the morning. And have you ever been a counselor at a camp before? Yeah, one of the best moments is, there's either two options, or you double, or you, or you, you go with both. One is you just, when you're waking the kids up in the morning, you just click the light sign, you're like, everybody! Right? And the kids just, they're like, Ugh! You know, you just, it smells like death in there. I don't know how it smells in the girls' cabin, but the boys' cabin is just, it's just awful. And they're just, it's just grossness. And they're all like, no, you know, turning into vampires or something. Or you turn music on. I always like the combo. Like, so sometimes we just, like, slam whatever, like, death metal we could find. And we just crank it up. But all of a sudden, the lights come on, right? And, like, everything is exposed, Right, like no guy wants like girls to walk into the cabin at that moment, right? It's just like everything is like, ah. it's like walking in front of like the HD camera, right? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You're like, oh God, that's what my face really looks like. Like that pore is way bigger than it looks like in normal mirrors. <laughs> Am I preaching? <laughs> Light, when there's this image of like the floodlights getting turned on, it will reveal everything. All of the motives of your heart. It just exposes everything. Right? Light and dark aren't opposites. Like darkness isn't a thing. Darkness only exists because there's no light there. Right? Darkness only exists in a place. It's not like there's an equal and opposite force of darkness. Darkness is the absence of. Darkness is the absence of. Yeah. So. If heaven were to crash into your life, if you were to walk in the light, if you were to be somehow um, more deeply aware of God's presence with you, it would expose things. Things will be shown for what they are. Those things that are hiding, all of a sudden, the light gets shined on them. To live the life of heaven is to live with the awareness that, that everything we do seems to, to matter. Luke twelve two, Jesus uses a similar image. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you've whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Something about the light of heaven, the light of God, the reality of God. Just it just stuff gets shown for what it really is. We were thinking about naming the series. I really wanted to call it Laid Bare. Everyone thought there may be, it might be tricky trying to advertise that thing. So we changed it. But, so we went with exposure, which really isn't that much better, let's be honest. But 
laid bare, just honest, like stuff's like just out. It's uncovered. So our text, like when we walk in the light, there are two things that happen when we walk in the light of God. When we walk, and we'll get to this in a moment more about what the light of God means. We're walking in the reality of God's presence with us. Two, one, according to this text in 1 John, we experience the forgiveness of God, the purifying of God, and two, we experience fellowship with one another. So I want to keep those kind of things floating up here as we dive into the text. We experience the forgiveness of God and fellowship with one another. Now, according to John, in light of the light of God, in light of the reality of God with us, in light of the fact that we can apparently choose to walk as if God is here with us or not, there are two things, John says, we can't claim. The word claim here comes up twice in this text. There are two things that we cannot claim if we say, yes, I am walking with, with the reality that God is here. I'm walking in the reality of God revealed in Jesus and all that flows from that. I'm growing in that reality and I'm waking up more and more to the God who is with us. So if that's true, he says there's two things that can't be happening at the same time. Not possible. If we claim that we are, con- if we're, so I'm sorry, if, we're, if we are walking in darkness, then we cannot claim that we are connected to God and we cannot claim that we are without sin. There's a deception here. He says, you, know, you can't claim that you are connected to God. If we claim we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. We lie and do not live out truth. If we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. He's getting at this issue of deception. We're deceiving. You're not deceiving God, but you're deceiving yourself. If you're living in darkness, you're living naively. You're living a lie. You're not living in any way that's dialed into how things actually are. If you're walking in the light of God, then there's going to be stuff that comes up. Which at first sounds like an awful thing. Then why would I choose to do this? But the invitation here, right, is to live more awake. To live in, in what's actually real. It's what we talked about last week about grace. Grace exists whether or not you agree with it or not. The fact that you are loved, set free, forgiven, and God is for you, that does not change whether or not you believe it. It's like it doesn't get activated. Well, it gets activated in your own life, but it doesn't like change the reality that it's there. It's like all of a sudden, like someone like gave you a gift. You don't have to like believe that you have it. You don't have to operate in it. You don't have to look at it. You don't have to open up. This is what we spoke about last week with grace. The same thing in some way applies. If God is here and with us and you're truly walking in relationship with him, walking in light, it's going to be doing this work on you. And so if you're saying, like, yeah, I walk with God, but I don't really, I don't really have sin. Now, maybe no one actually says that, but we often live as if we're kind of fine. And if you say, like, well, I'm walking with God, but I don't really, like, no one knows me. I have no fellowship with others. Like, no one really knows what's going on in my life. John's, John is saying, I'm not saying it. I'm not saying this. I'm not bold enough to say this. John's saying it. You're a liar. That's what John's saying. We got that? Grumpy, 
grumpy old John. When we walk in the light, when we truly know God, and then there's this surprise in the text. The surprise is, is he's faithful and just. As soon as we acknowledge, God, God, I, I want to walk in your way. I trust that you have loved me and you set me free. And I don't even know fully what that means. But you died on the cross for me. So in some way I needed you to love me. And I, I, I want to be attentive and submit myself to the life of the church and to other people. And, and as soon as that starts to happen, if we're honest and truly about honest in living the life of God, then in that moment, there is a surprise. We hear the words of John. He's faithful. He promises to forgive and to love, and he's just. In other words, what comes up is true. It's like just John's way of saying, like, he's faithful to forgive you and set you free. You got to be honest about what's there if you're going to allow his grace to actually take hold of you. And you know what? Whatever does come up, it's right, because he's God. He's faithful and he's just. There's no darkness in him. So please don't think that what God may invite you into, what the community around may invite you into, is not correct. John is telling us there is a better way to live, and it's in the light. It's, it's living in light of the fact that God, God's being with us is not lifestyle enhancement to give us a little bit of extra morality on a Sunday. Here's what all this brings up for me. I wanted to kind of just plow through the text. This is what this brings up for me is a weariness of my own sin. When I stop and slow down, I realize how, and I couldn't think of a better word, like weary, of trying to hide and for some of us we try to hide our sin this is walking in darkness from others some of us who maybe come from a a real religious background and then others of us we hide from ourselves so we don't want to acknowledge that there's really anything jacked up or god might want to do something like new and maybe there's blind like people are always like i don't have any blind spots like that that the very definition of a blind spot is you don't know it's there. Like, <laughs> you, you, I don't know. I, once I know I have a blind spot, it's not a blind spot anymore. <laughs> right? So, so we're, we're like, we, we don't even want to go there and think like, oh, maybe, maybe there's something God wants to grow me in so I can live a greater, loving, more generous, more free life. And then there's this third category, which is interesting, which is folks that are like, yeah, yeah, I'm a sinner. I'm a messed up. It's all times great. God's good. You know, grace. And like, <laughs> we can laugh about that Deadpool. You know, and then like, and then different thing. And then we can, and then we move on. There's like no, there's no real, Paul actually I think talks about it. What does he say? Um, don't keep on sinning so grace will increase. Like, I'm cool. I'm cool. Like, yeah, yeah, we're all broken. We're all messed up. I can't really, I'm too old. I'm not going to fight this fight anymore. (laughs) I'm sure there are other categories, but I feel a weariness in all of that. I think that we often believe if we're really honest with ourselves that the Christian life is about how well we learn to hide our sin from ourselves, how how good we learn to hide sin from others, or, or how good we kind of can like pad our sin to make it feel like it's like not a kind of big deal and there's not a greater life out there for us. 
And honestly, I think a lot of us think that we are able to measure the growth of our spirituality by how little we're sinning. Now that's part of it, but that should come second. We measure like, am I becoming more full of the life of God because I'm sinning less? On the face of it, you're like, yes, that's exactly what it should mean. But first, like, it needs to be about, like, are we honest about what's really there? Maybe at least how little we can convince everyone, ourselves included, that we are sinning. The Christian life is not about hiding. We can't. We can't hide. First and foremost, it's like we need to be honest with ourselves and with others. In fact, John is saying you can't really be walking with God and hide. If you're walking with God, stuff's going to come up. If you're walking with God, he, he wants to make you whole. If any of you have kids, if any of you once were kids, anyone once a kid? Yeah. If you had parents that were remotely responsible, I know some of you didn't, but for those of you that did, right? To be in the presence of your parents was a constant lesson in what? Being loved, having fun, and growing sharp and learning the way of life. It's what a good parent does. That's why you go from I love you, hugs and kisses, to like go to your room quiet, like, you know, time out all in the same moment. John saying you can't really walk with God and hide. If you're walking with God, stuff's going to come up. In other words, it's just futile. We're just hiding from ourselves. It's kind of how, um, speaking of kids, it's like how kids hide. I've noticed this with my own daughter, but like, you ever played like hide and seek with a really little kid? I've seen this with a number of kids, and this is usually how it looks. At least I, I've seen. Maybe your kids are smarter than mine. So it's like, okay, ready? We're going to play hide and seek. She's not the smartest kid, but she's great. She's coming along. (laughs) For all the other things that may or may not be happening psychologically, I think it's a great picture. They're in darkness. Everybody else knows exactly where they are, but they can't see. Like, think about that for a minute. They feel like they're hiding because their eyes are closed. Let that sink in. There's There's some depth to that. That preaches. They, they, they. It's, God is sitting over here going, really? I love that you are deceiving yourself. That's great. But I, I, you're not, you're not fooling me. You're not fooling me. To live in light of the God who sees every little bit about us and still loves and forgives us. There's something there that when we begin to grow in that and allow that to be spoken over us all the time, moment by moment, I have felt, I can speak to my own experience, have felt how much that has changed my life. How much that has taken a giant stab at the sexual sin in my life. 
how that is unearthed the places where I am like a like easily deceived and love deceiving others in the most sneaky and subtle ways where it's unearthed my pride, where it continues to work over my anger. It's like the more and more, God, you see all of that. I can spin this even to my own wife. Heck, I can spin this sin to myself. That's how good I am. Anyone really good at that? Yeah. I have my ability to hide from myself. Fantastic. Everyone else. And this is where fellowship comes in. Because it's not just God, the proverbial parent, going, I see you. It's everybody else. If you're actually walking in the light, you'll be in community where people are seeing you. Hey, hey, dude, 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 I can see you. I know you got your hands over your eyes, but I can see. I get yeah, the thing. You're not hiding very well. Because you're letting people in. If we're walking in the light... God will forgive us of our sins because we're going to be becoming aware of the stuff that's not right. That's what Lent is all about. It's this inward journey of exposure of what's in here. God, what do you want to make new? And directly, intrinsically linked, according to John, is fellowship. Because we can confess our sins to God in the closet, but it's something changes when other people know. Right? That's where confession comes. Confess your sins to one another. It doesn't say only confess your sins to God and don't tell anybody else. That's not in there. This is where the, 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 the Roman Catholic tradition of confession, like this is where this practice originates. Go and tell somebody. Go and it, like do this. This is really, really good and healthy and beautiful. Go and be in community with others. Derek Webb once said, the best thing that could happen to anyone, any one of you in this room, he's speaking to a, to, at a concert hall, and he says, the best thing is that your sin would literally be exposed on the five o'clock news. Your deepest, darkest, most embarrassing sin, the one you work the hardest to hide would be broadcast on the five o'clock news. Best thing that could ever happen to you. Best thing that could ever happen to me. Why? Why would he say this? That's being a glutton for punishment. Because I think we so often are so weary, tired of hiding. I know for me, I'm tired of hiding my sin from people and tired of hiding from myself. I'm deceiving people of who I really am. In fact, I didn't really realize that I was weary about it or even tired about it until I stopped long enough to go, God, would you just search me and know my heart? Here's my heart. Would you speak what's true? I'm going to like make sure I get together with this friend and have an honest conversation once a month. Just that action. I'm going to get together with one person once a month and we're going to have an honest conversation. That changed so much about my life. It upended all of this stuff. And I realized how weary I was of hiding. I didn't realize that I was tired. The first time I really started to take a Sabbath, um, I, I, I realized that I, I like had all these aches and pains in my body. Like I know a lot of people have experienced this. As soon as they started to regularly rest once a week, they started to realize they weren't listening to their body. Like, wow, I've been operating on adrenaline and I didn't realize my back hurt, my shoulder hurt, my knee hurt, my ankle hurt because I've been moving so fast. It's similar. When we stop, we begin to realize. We actually let ourselves open to God. Something happens. 
I just wish my sins could be exposed. This is where fellowship comes in. I wish that there were huge, huge screens that would just show you the truth about me all the way down to my core in order that you would know me for who I really am and that I could not, that I did not even have the option to hide to you anymore. Didn't even have the option to hide. There's something that, that feels scary when you first hear it and then you sit on it for a minute and you're like, oh, oh, actually there would be a freedom there. This is why fellowship, again, is so critical because walking in the light is deeply tied to being in community. It's called being known. It's allowing others to know you. I've had the opportunity slash misery of being in some sort of vocational ministry for the last eight years, nine years, maybe longer now. Before Sanctuary was a church plant four years ago, um, it was a service down in East Greenwich on Sunday night. And uh, so I was 25, 26, 24, 25, I can't remember when it started, something mid-20s. Uh, we just started as an evening worship service, and then it started to become more of a thing, and then I would start to like, do some teaching. Uh, and it was great. I loved it. I experienced God. My, and my community experienced God together. Uh, the problem was, and maybe this isn't totally a problem. This is kind of still a reality in some way. But I was like pastoring just to my peers. All right, so I hadn't, hadn't met my, my wife. I was like dating somebody in the community. My friends were all like kind of like knew what I did Friday night, and then I'd get up there on Sunday. I was still like kind of coming into my own and making sense of what God had called me to, to do and be. And it was really hard in that time, and I think I've shared part of the story before, actually even here. Um, it's really hard. It was, um, I couldn't hide. It was a blessing when I look back on it, and it still is. People look at me, and I have to check myself all the time because living in light of God is like an eternal sense of fellowship because there's all these senses of what a pastor should and shouldn't do. And there's a lot of good stuff with that. There's a lot of weird, messed up stuff, but there's a lot of really good stuff. Like, watch your mouth. Watch your anger. Be patient. Like, the life of heaven is like, here, God is with you. It's not like God is watching you ready to, like, hurt you. It's like a check of, I know the life I want to live. And then when I see one of you at a coffee shop, like, I remember, like, the God of light. And so this didn't happen one time when we were, um, I was dating this girl, and it wasn't a really good relationship. And the thing, as it started to fall apart, there was a lot of deception in my heart. There was a lot of, like, physical activity that was, like, way off the charts, not healthy. Uh, and a group of my friends um, called me out. And they called me out a couple times, and I didn't really change. I just kind of tried to hide, dodge, and spin. And then I got a call from the elders of the church, of which my dad is the pastor, so awkward on top of more awkward, a nice awkward layer cake, saying, Andrew, a bunch of your friends, and a lot of these were like, like good friends, like we need to talk. We need to talk about what's going on. And so we sat down, and we talked, and it was like, you can't be up front when all this stuff is going on. You say you're walking in the light and walking with God and you're teaching about walking in the light and you're making God out to be a liar because you're not seeing all this stuff. They said it a little bit kinder than that. But it felt like being in front of a firing squad except God being faithful and just. These people loved me so much. It's one of the hardest things I've ever had to do is sit there and hear all this and then step down from leading sanctuary ministry for a summer. It's brutal, absolutely brutal. But it was this picture of like, there are things that summer 
like pivotal moments that would take too long to explain of things that God did in my heart that I've like, uh, still are anchors in my, of my soul. There's still things that I look back on. There's still, there are things that have changed me that I've never gone back to that other way of life in some, so many ways. It's become something in me where, where, where the light, and, the, and, and I'll say, I guess the faithfulness in this is that I was in Christian community. I was in community with other people who loved me enough to call me out. To say you're killing yourself and you're killing others and you're hurting the gospel. Let's go, Andrew. And once you get past the grief of the moment, the hurt and the loss in the morning, all of a sudden, the freedom of I don't have to hide that anymore. And not only not do I have to hide that, but I can step more and more into the life of the ages. And that happens. I started to walk more and more in the light. When I opened myself to God, which meant open myself up to godly community, the light shined in the dark places and my stuff came out. When my darkness and my brokenness is outed, I started to realize that I had nothing but Jesus to grasp onto. And that's all I had anyway. In that moment, I realized I had nothing else but Jesus to hold on to. I literally feel untethered. I can't believe this is happening. I felt so betrayed for moments in that, in, initially in that meeting. It's like, I, I got nothing to hold on to but Jesus. And then you have that moment, like, that's all I ever had anyway. The truth is, my sin being exposed as if they were on the five o'clock news is a good thing, a freeing thing. And they've already been exposed to Jesus. He knows you better than you are even willing to admit to yourself. And yet he has forgiven you. One writer says, take joy in the fact not that your sins are not real, but that they are real and that your Savior is real. Take joy in the fact that your sins are, it's not that your sins are not real, but that they are real and that your Savior is real. This is something that I cannot tell you and tell myself enough times. We have to keep telling us in hopes that like we might truly believe this. Never tire of saying this to people. I'll never tire of hearing myself, like hearing this spoken over myself. Because every time I go to sleep at night, I fail to believe again that God is faithful and just. Some of us try to take joy in an illusion. We take joy in the darkness. We pretend, which is a way of walking in darkness. We see walking in the light is about living in the truth of what really is. In other words, when we think of truth, we split it into two categories. Here's what we tend to do. Truth is something I believe, like that thing could be true. And then there's the reality of it. So if I showed you like a picture of a, of a cheetah, because I like cheetahs, like, that, like the, the cheetah's true it's just not real it's not like that thing isn't real like there are cheetahs that is truly a picture of a cheetah but the reality is is that cheetah is not here does this make sense like there we, we there's things that can be true in our minds and then there's like the reality of what really is when john uses truth here when he's talking about walking in truth when he's talking about walking in the light the way the Greeks understand this, where the language is so important, he's talking about something where those two things, the gap is closed. Want something concrete. 
like walking in truth is not walking with an understanding of something. It's walking in reality. And too often we live with illusions. Right? The thing that makes an illusion an illusion is that it looks real. That's what makes an illusion an illusion. An illusion looks like it's real, but it's actually not. If you can see how a magic trick is done, it's not interesting. Right? It's a failure. We love illusions. <laughs> so when John says walk in reality, he's saying something about our tendencies to lie to ourselves. He's saying something about our tendency to want to believe this false reality, to hide. Believe everything's cool. It causes so much confusion. John is saying if you want to walk in the light, you must live in reality. You must live in reality. If you want to walk in the light, if you want to walk in the way of God, simply saying, I actually want what's true. I don't want the lies that I say about myself. I don't want the lies that I say about other people. I don't want the lies of hiding from other people. He is faithful and just. There is a better way to live. There is an abundant life that we can step into. This is why for those of us who are often thinking of ways to hide our sin from people, we need to hear again and again the good news of God's grace. Hiding is not what my Christian life is all about. That's not what this season of Lent is about. That's not what growth as a human being is about. It's not about hiding. So in this church, today, this morning, might it be said, like overhearing things like this. I was trying to imagine, what are the conversations I would love to overhear? I thought of this. You know, I, I heard you talking about this sin. That was bold of you. Maybe this is in our home groups. Maybe this is coffee dates. That was bold of you. Brave of you to admit that thing. You know what? It's leading me to repent as well. It's leading me to turn back to who I was created to be. I want to tell you something. I want to invite you into where I hide in hopes that I might not hide there anymore. This is what community and fellowship does. Let's make it harder for me to go back to that place because the light switch has been turned on. We have to speak to, good, to the good news of God's grace and forgiveness and his passionate love for us in a way that we might actually believe it way that we might come out of hiding and that it might change our community. I know I'm not the only one sick of living in a place where we are encouraged to hide from each other and to hide from ourselves. This is not what the way of Jesus is about and this is not what leads to freedom. The gospel has not failed us in transforming our hearts and changing our addictions and shedding light on the stuff that's not healthy and whole. We have failed to believe the good news that when we bring our stuff out of hiding and we're honest with where we're at, God is faithful and just. That this forgiveness and renewal and reconciliation found on the cross is available to everyone who walks in the light. Let's pray.
Lord, we want to enter a, a space where we, where we are going to be singing this. Here's my heart, Lord, speak what is true. May that bring us to a place of deeper confession this morning. Lord, we know that darkness only exists at the mercy of light. So many of us here this morning want to let the light in. You want to own up. We want to just simply say, God, God, I, I search me. Know my heart. To be still long enough to allow that voice to come up. Maybe we don't need to like spend a moment hearing even from you like we already know. Like hearing this talk has been wildly uncomfortable. There are just things that we need to trust that we can be honest with our spouse about. We can be honest with our friends about. We can be honest with those we walk with about. And that will help us be honest with you, God. We get why you tell us to confess our sins to one another because sometimes it feels, it feels like we can almost, like we don't trust you enough that you're there, so it almost feels like we're hiding God, might we be a community that, as foolish as it sounds, we actually get excited to confess with smiles on our face. We're like, God, I want to be honest because I want to be whole. Lord, I I know for me, I I don't want to pray for others. I pray for me, Lord. I want to be more honest. Lord, Lord, cause your light shine into the places that I don't even know are just jacked up and broken and the places that I do know. God, give me the courage to lay these things down, to step into a pattern of wholeness, to work away from the sin that you know is in my heart. your name we pray. Amen. Confession is not intended to create guilt or shame or condemnation, but rather it frees us from those things. It actually frees us from those things. And so if for you, you're having like weird religious backlash right now, I would like to humbly submit you're not, you may have missed a few details in the sermon. You are loved right where you're at in all of your junk. Right where you're at. And as we say, week after week, you are loved way too much to stay in that place of death. And so as we come to the table, the center of every service, the one thing that no matter where you're coming from, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, we can agree on the Eucharist, the good news that Jesus has broken himself open and pour himself out for the healing, for the reconciliation of our own hearts and for the healing of our world. This sacred moment where we take bread and we dip it in the cup as a reminder of the freedom that we have in Jesus, of the forgiveness that we have in Jesus. That we find ourselves um, more and more exposed to not only the reality of our sin, but the beauty and redemption and forgiveness of our God.